With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here, kind of hiding in the shadows. I'm in a shadowy little setup here, joined by Ken Campbell and Ryan Kennedy, as always. And guys, I, I think we just have to we have to just get the, I, I want to say elephant in the room, but it's actually a zebra in the room that we have to get out of the way to start this mm-hmm. podcast. It's officiating. What is going on? Some people are annoyed. Now, stop complaining on Twitter, blah, blah, blah. No, that's ignorant. This is the story of the playoffs. It's pretty clear. It's spiraled absolutely out of control. I can't remember a season in which officiating was talked about more during the playoffs. So we have to start the podcast and discuss it. Uh, So uh, the main question I want to ask both of you is, do you think it's time for a real paradigm shift? I'm talking 0506 obstruction crackdown, officiating referendum, and just massive sea changes, if you will to officiating in the NHL. Let's start with you, Kenny. Do you believe that's what needs to happen? I absolutely do believe that's that needs what that's what needs to happen. I think the NHL has a huge problem on its hands right now. Um, and, and I'll tell you why. Um, <clears throat> because number one, officiating has hijacked the playoffs. So instead of talking about the games, we're talking about how, you know, inconsistently the refs are calling things and how out and out bad they are. Um, so that's one thing. But the other thing is, that I find is a problem is there are people out there and, and there's not just a few of them. There are a lot of people out there who right at this moment believe that Chris Lee hates the Montreal Canadiens and that Gary Bettman wants the Vegas Golden, Golden Knights to win this series. I mean, that's preposterous. Uh-huh. It, it is, right? We all agree that's preposterous, oh, right? Yeah, for sure. It absolutely is. But but that's the perception that they that that some people have. And to me, that is so incredibly damaging. You know, I, I mean, I'm sure people would rather or the NHL would rather people say, you know, ah, Chris Lee's a terrible referee. He shouldn't be refing Tim Bitts hockey. You know, he's awful. He's dumb. He's stupid. You know, I, I'm sure they would prefer that to Chris Lee hates us and wants us to lose. You know, and Gary Bettman wants us to lose. He wants Vegas in the Stanley Cup final. That's a huge perception problem that the league has, in my opinion. And 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 I th- I think it is time for you know there's there's got to be a time of reckoning here, and and it's a perfect time I think because you've got the ESPN and Turner contracts uh, that are that are beginning, and I don't I don't think they're going to put up with this crap. And secondly, you know, the advent of legalized gambling. You know, I mean, people who are not hockey fans and gamble on sports, you know, what do they gamble on? Football. Well, in football, a pass interference call with 30 seconds left in the Super Bowl is the same as one in October. You know, they gamble on basketball. A foul in the final is a foul in the regular season. You know, they gamble on baseball. Strike zone is the same, usually, (laughs) you know, in the World Series as it is during the regular season. So hockey's got to get in lockstep here 
and have some consistency with the way it calls the game. And I, you know, I mean, Gary Bettman said, I don't know, I think it was 2019. I think that's the last time I attended a Stanley cup final in person. Um, you know, he said the, the referees are the, the best in the world at any sport. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll take your word on that. Then. Okay. Then the only other option is they're being told how to officiate the game. You know, is right. that it's being mandated from the league, how to officiate the game and how to manage the game at a certain time in the year. It, it's gotta be one or the other. They're either terrible or they're being told how to manage the game. It's gotta be one of those two. And I think it's the, I think it's the, the latter. I think it's the latter. I think the league is mandating how they should, how they should uh, manage the game. And, and, you know, it's full of ex players, the league. We all know that the pay, people in, in power are GMs and people in the league are ex players. And so it's, I think they've got to tear it down like they did in 2005 and six and say, look, this is our rule book. Here's, here's how we're going to call it. And, you know, call it by the rule book. Mm. I agree. And I think that, you know, the NHL has an opportunity in this off season to really empower its refs and say, <clears throat> we're going to back you up here. You're going to have a, a preseason where you can call the rule book strictly. And I, I guarantee there's going to be like 17 penalties a game to begin with, but it's the preseason. Doesn't matter. Who cares? You know, you're, you're testing players out. That's fine. You're just getting warmed up. You want players to know the standard. And you want it to be consistent. So you, you do need a reset. And I, I think they have a great opportunity to say, okay, we're going to do this for real. And also what I think is important is for the league to say to the refs, we will protect you. We will back you up. If you have to call 20 penalties in a game and 13 or 14 are against one team and six or seven are against the other, we have your back because we want the standard to be at a certain level. And we want to make sure that our skill players are getting the, the proper berth on the ice that they should be getting. We don't want them being hacked. We don't want them being cross-checked in front of the net. We want them to be making skill plays because that's how you're going to grow the game to a mass audience. And as Ken mentioned, you know, with the new American TV deals, uh, you know, they want to see Connor McDavid going end to end, you know, and if somebody has to pull him down in the process, well, that's a penalty. And then the Oilers are going to make them pay on the power play or even better. That's a penalty shot because that's what you're going to want to see on the ESPN highlights or, you know, whatever TNT show uh, they have sort of poster or pregame is a Connor McDavid uh, penalty shot attempt. So I, I think there's a great opportunity here for the league. And this, you know, this should be a wake up call because, the NHL is a great spotlight right now. You look at the teams that are in the final four, you have some really great markets there and some really great franchises. They, they can't let this opportunity go to waste. And I, I think this is a very good sort of case study uh, for the NHL to say, hey, why aren't people talking about Braden Point chasing Reggie Leach's record for consecutive playoff games with a goal? Why are they only talking about officiating on Twitter? So, yeah, it's. I think it's time too, for sure. And it's it's good that you mentioned Connor McDavid because I noticed it was a really good stat from Mark Spector at Sportsnet saying that you know McDavid was sixth in the league in drawing penalties during the regular season. He drew none in the playoffs. So you have sort of a two pronged problem, and and you've got like <laughs> you've got in certain situations 
the officials not calling things at all because they're trying to let them play. And as you said, Ryan, there's the irony there of by trying not to impact the game, you're impacting the game. And you also have the even out calls problem, which was displayed, of course, by Tim Peel. And to me, that's what blows my mind. It was already a PR disaster when Tim Peel got busted during the regular season. So you would think that going into the playoffs, the NHL would tell officials, guys, just really stick to the rule book. We're already not looking good this season with the Tim Peel stuff. Let's not be worse at officiating because that's just going to compound the problem and just sort of make it look like it's just a massive cluster F. I'll call it a clutter buck, if you will. Okay. And to me, I agree with you, Ken, about going back to 0506. And the funny thing about it is it's not introducing new penalties, new rules. It's just calling the rule book. It's just looking at the words, following the words that are in there and saying, hmm, should we just do this? Yes. And we saw it in 0506. The, the jump in skill and speed in the game that occurred in 0506, it's still a demarcation point for what we see today. The game was changed that much between 0304 and 0506, the new NHL. It sort of, that was the birth of the of hockey as we know it today with the amount of skill. And it started with, yes, a power play fest, but what it did was gradually coach in new tendencies into the players. The power plays went down, but the players started, they behaved differently on the ice because it's baked in. And then you just had in general, a more wide open game. I think what we need to see if we're actually going to get these changes though, it's got to come from, I think the competition committee, there's got to be a sense of urgency. It's got to be the GMs and the players, the NHL players association as well, working with the competition committee, Colin Campbell, bringing it to the board of governors, because otherwise I don't, I don't know that we're going to see changes yet. To me, when it comes to officiating, the NHL is pretty defensive. And even just in my own experience, trying to get them to speak on certain topics, it's usually met with a fair amount of resistance. There's just a reluctance to admit that things need to change. Uh, and I, I just think it kind of, you know, the NHL turns like a cruise ship when it comes to making these, these types of changes. But if you have big voices speaking out, especially on the competition committee, then I think you're going to get the changes. So I'm hoping that's what we see this offseason. I really do think it's time. Uh, another thing we could see this offseason is an Oliver Ekman Larson trade. It was reported over the weekend by, I think it was Chris Johnson at Sportsnet. The Coyotes and Oliver Ekman Larson, they're discussing the idea of a trade. They're going to try and work together to sort of see what's out there and try and work out a deal. It didn't happen before because Oliver Ekman Larson only wanted to go to a couple spots, but now they're open to it. He's got six years left, 8.25 million a year. So it's a chunky, chunky contract to take on. But where do you think? would be an ideal destination for Oliver Ekman Larson. We'll start with you, Ryan. Well, you know, two markets come to mind for me. The first one is Boston. Uh, You know, obviously the Bruins need a lot more help on defense. You know, Charlie McAvoy is doing so much of the heavy lifting right now. And, and, you know, they had the big losses last off season with Zdeno Char and Torrey Krug leaving. And, and then of course you pile injuries on top of that and things got even worse. So I think Boston, and it's, the Bruins have a surprising amount of cap space, uh, possibly because, you know, guys like Patrice Bergeron and, and Brad Marchand, uh, you know, took less money to be on a team that they knew would, would keep them in the, the Stanley Cup hunt for a long time. So they actually have a considerable, considerable amount of cap space. So they could accommodate Oliver ekman Larson. And I think the Bruins are a good fit because you wouldn't have to be the guy there. Like Charlie McAvoy's the guy there. And then even when you think about team defense, you think about, the perfection line up front and, you know, the two-way game that Bergeron, Pasternak and Marchand play. So, you know, Ekman Larson, definitely there's a, there's a big media spotlight in Boston, but at least in terms of his role, he wouldn't have to overextend himself. And I think that's important at this point in his career. 
The other option is Columbus. Uh, you know, we know that Seth Jones is probably going to be gone possibly as soon as the draft or, or right before that. Columbus is going to have huge – I mean, they already had holes on the back end. Now it's going to be just a chasm. Uh, you need somebody to help out Zach Wierenski and, you know, some of the, the younger guys they're bringing up. Oliver Ekman Larson is a guy that is, is perfect for Columbus because – he has that long term on his contract. He's already locked in for you know a number of years into the future, and we know Columbus has obviously had trouble retaining star players. Um, so in that respect, I think it's it's a great fit for Columbus. Now, would Oliver Ekman-Larsen want to go to Columbus? That's obviously uh, another question. But again, it would present a great opportunity for him because. He could have a, a meaty, substantial role with the Blue Jackets, but he wouldn't necessarily be the guy that everybody was looking at all the time. And and certainly even on that blue line court, Zach Wierenski is the guy. Yeah, I, I don't know where Oliver ekman Larson is going to end up, but it wouldn't be on my team. That's for sure. Um, not a chance. Not a chance. Mm. And And this is one of those ones where you cannot divorce the term and money from the player. In my opinion, he's a declining asset. He doesn't contribute enough for that kind of cap hit. And, and in a flat cap world for the next four, maybe three or four, maybe five years, to have that kind of contract for that production, I would run away. If I were a GM, I would run away from that as fast as I could. Uh, but, you know, that being said, I also did think the Boston Bruins might be a fit for him. You know, if if Dougie Hamilton leaves Carolina, I suppose that would be another place where, um, you know, it might might be a good fit. But yeah, but to me, you know, this this one's like the Phil Kessel trade. And I took a lot of flack when I when people said, well, what can the Leafs get for Phil Kessel? And I said nothing. What they get is is cap space in return. And that's all you're going to get in a trade like this, because, you know, I mean, a team trading for this player in in my estimation is either going to, you know, they're, they're not going to trade assets and take on take on that 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 contract. You know, so to me, I, I, I don't think the return on Oliver and Larson, I don't think Arizona Coyote fans should be expecting a huge return on him. What you get back is eight eight point two five million dollars in cap space. Yeah. And, and it's funny you mentioned that because it kind of ties into one idea I had. If you think of at this point, which is crazy, we never would have said this a few years ago, but the idea of, of getting Oliver Ekman Larson is a favor it's a, doing the Coyotes a favor, then you got to bring Seattle into this discussion, right? Because Seattle can say, yeah, we'll take Oliver Ekman Larson. We need someone who at least can be a number one defenseman for us. And we'll also take a first round pick from you guys, please. Or we'll take, you know, a prospect. We'll take Barrett Hayton from you guys it, because, you know, he's sort of, we don't know what's going to happen with him. He hasn't really blossomed yet. So you kind of buy low, something like that. I think Seattle's the one team that could leverage it into getting another thing and sort of setting up a side deal. It's like, yeah, we'll take him off your hands. So that's a team I'm looking at. I think Boston maybe, but the Bruins, it's true. Yes, they're going to have some LTIR space, probably if they put Tuka Rask there, they re-sign him and put him there. But you could also just bring back Mike Riley, who's, who did all the things you want from Oliver ekman Larson this season will be much, much, much cheaper. And then you could have money to re-sign Taylor Hall and David Krejci. I think we got to talk about Chicago too. We know that they're in the market for a, a top four defenseman at least. So I think they'd be in the mix because they're trying to be competitive now. But my main choice... I'm looking at the Florida Panthers because there could be sort of a scratch each other's back situation with Keith Yandel. Keith Yandel's mm -hmm. got a no movement clause and I know there's sort of a game of chicken. The Panthers don't, I don't think they want to protect him. 
uh, in the expansion draft, but they have no choice unless he waves it. And I can tell you, I know, I have the intel that, that can, can tell you that the relationship between Yandel and the Panthers, it's a little bit strained. There was the whole controversy over whether they were going to end his own Ironman streak by scratching him. It did not go well with Yandel and his camp. So I don't know if Yandel wants to be a Florida Panther much longer anyways. So what if you trade him back to his original team and you get relief on both ends in a way. So the Panthers are taking on more salary, but Yandel's already making 6 million plus and the Panthers are looking for more of a long-term fixture in that top four and then the coyotes yes you still get yandel who's you know past his prime but you only have to commit to him for two more years it's much more tradable asset down the road so maybe i don't know if that's a one-for-one trade but something built around yandel and Lechman larson would be interesting in my opinion uh another possible trade candidate and i did not see this one coming i have to admit but it popped up it was a podcast it was shane o'brien who brought it up with steve coolius the idea that matthew could check might want out of Calgary. And supposedly he's interested in going to the St. Louis Blues, which is, of course, his hometown team. It's where his dad played a good chunk of his career. And so who, we, we don't know if this is an, a real rumor, if it's really going to happen, but it's still fascinating. We know that Kachuk, often during the season, he expressed sort of discontent over the team's compete level. And of course, it was a rocky season in Calgary. So if we want to play along and just accept the idea that Matthew Kachuk could be traded, where should he go? Is it St. Louis? Is it another team? And what could Calgary get back? We'll start with you, Kenny. Well, first of all, I mean, should he go to St. Louis? I, I, I mean, if Matthew Kachuk wants out of Calgary and he wants to be traded, okay, fine. Then go where you're traded to. You know, so he shouldn't have any choice in the matter. So, um, you know, I guess St. Louis would be a great would be a great fit for him. Um, here's another guy, though, guys. Like this year, watching the Calgary Flames, I kept waiting to see. Matthew Kachuk have a meaningful impact on that team and on games. And he didn't, he didn't like, I thought he really took like a bunch of steps back this year. I, I think, you know, I, to me, I, 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 I just didn't see the Matthew Kachuk that was, you know, really like, and uh, you know, an, an impact guy. So I think that may, you know, that may affect his trade value. Um, you know, I'm going to go with one of the obvious ones, you know, you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, you know, that's that's a team that needs, you know, I mean, if you want to get more difficult to play against and you want to get tougher and you want to get more grit and all those other things, it's great that you go out and get guys like Wayne Simmons and, you know, and, and, and those guys, but <laughs> you got to get guys who can play, you know, and with all due respect to Wayne Simmons, I mean, when I say play, I mean, be a top six forward yeah. and log a lot of ice time and, you know, be a leader on the team. You, that, that's what you have to do to be more difficult to play against. So, you know, I mean, I mean, we're looking at, you know, Mitch Marner sitting right there, you know? And so I think there's, I think there's definitely a trade to be made. I don't think it's Marner for Kachuk one-on-one. I think Calgary would have to give up, you know, a, a bit like more than a bit more than that. Um, but I see that as being a perfect fit for, for uh, Matthew Kachuk. Mm. To start off with, I, I don't see why Calgary would trade Matthew Kachuk. He's the kind of guy you want more of in Calgary. Uh, you know, He's the kind, kind of guy you build a culture around. And I think that was the problem with the Flames this year is, you know, Ken, you, you mentioned that you know, he wasn't as impactful. I think it's because he felt like he was alone that, you know, no one had his back in Calgary, that he was trying to play this competitive physical style and, and no one was there to back him up. And I think that's pretty unfortunate. Um, so I would go the other way and I would trade anybody else on Calgary, maybe multiple guys 
in order to build around Matthew Kachuk. Uh, but for the purposes of this question, you know, I, I think that, you know, I would look to a team like Anaheim, for example, where, you know, it's a rebuilding squad that's on the rise. They've got some really nice pieces that have already proven to be NHL ready in Trevor Zegers and Jamie Drysdale. So you've got your center, you've got your defenseman, you know, you've already got a great goaltender in John Gibson, who obviously just needs more support in front of him. You know, you toss Matthew Kachuk in there. You, you know, obviously Ryan Getzlaff is still there. He's still your, you know, your heartbeat, but he's only going to be there for so much longer. You know, he's getting to sort of the twilight of his career. Matthew Kachuk could be your next Ryan Getzlaff. He could be your captain. He could be the guy that you go to war with. Much in the same way, ironically, that Matthew's younger brother, Brady Kachuk, is for Ottawa. You know, Brady, Brady Kachuk is the guy that drags the Senators into the fight because he's going to be there and they expect other players to follow suit. So I think Matthew Kachuk, you know, he can he tried to do that in Calgary. And I, I, th- I still think he will. You know, I, I think this is kind of a silly rumor. Um, but, you know, if, if we're going to do hypotheticals, I, I think he'd be great for Anaheim because, you know, he could be that sort of next guy that not that you're building around him because you're building around Zegers and Drysdale, but he's that, he's that piece of the puzzle that really pulls it all together. For sure. And, and I agree with you that to me, Kachuk is the last guy you'd want to trade in Calgary, but I guess you have to wonder, is it a Pierre-Luc Dubois situation where you don't want to trade the guy? He's an important piece, but if he wants out, he wants out. So you try to get what you can for him before his contract is up again. So if we play along to me, the blues are a risky one. It's like, do the blues have the right assets? It better not be a Tarasenko for Kachuk one for one. I can't imagine it would be because Tarasenko is six years older and he's got major shoulder problems. I think there's a ton of red flags around Tarasenko right now for his long-term, even short-term career capabilities. So I think it would have to be, you know, Tarasenko, Vince Dunn, and a first-round pick or Tarasenko and Robert Thomas or Tarasenko and Jordan Cairo. It's got to be something a lot bigger, I think, if you're going to bring Matthew Kachuk to St. Louis. I actually I had Toronto down as well, Kenny, especially because of the friendship and former line mate connection with Austin Matthews. You've got instant chemistry there going back to their junior days. Uh, but to me, the, the choice is the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, we know the Penguins. And it's funny, even if I've gone on like Pittsburgh radio shows, this comes up. They don't feel like they're tough enough. They're playing in the Metro with a lot of teams that can really crash and bang. And they've been getting bounced from the playoffs early because when the game changes, <laughs> to go back to our officiating problem, the Penguins are a small, fast team and they get bullied by you know the New York Islanders twice in a span of three years. The Barry Trotz teams tend to knock out the Penguins these days. And to me, you could take someone, you could even do a hockey trade, Jake Gensel for Matthew Kachuk, one for one. The, the Flames get maybe better raw goal scoring touch. We know they need more goals. And the Penguins get someone, like you said, Ken, someone to play on one of the top two lines who brings some size and snarl and can measure up to the Tom Wilsons of the world when you're playing those heavy teams because they just push around the Penguins these days. So to me, that would be very interesting. And also, if you're playing with someone like Crosby, if you're Matthew Kachuk, you don't feel that pressure to carry the team on your shoulders. You already have someone who's been doing that for a decade and a half. So to me, that would be a very intriguing fit for chemistry. Uh, We know it's been reported the Seattle Kraken – are getting close in their head coaching search. They're circling Rick Tockett, supposedly. We don't know yet at the time of recording this podcast whether it's going to be Rick Tockett, but I'm just curious from a general perspective, what do you guys think is the right type of coach, not just for the Kraken, but just for an expansion team in general? What should you be looking for if you're starting from scratch, Ryan? Well, I think you really need a culture builder because you're bringing together, you know, 23 
we'll call it 30 guys, but I mean, you're going to have 23 in your roster. You're bringing 23 disparate guys together, most of whom have never played on the same team, or maybe like a couple of them have at some point. I wouldn't be surprised if Ron Francis makes some Carolina ties, um, you know, in his picks uh, just because of the familiarity, but you want somebody that can establish a tone right off the hop and say, this is what Seattle Kraken hockey is. We want you to be a part of it. We brought you here because we think you can fit into this system. And we would love you to, you know, really establish what it means to be a member of this hockey club. So I think that's, that's pretty important. It, it, more so important than, a, than an X's and O's guy is somebody that can really establish uh, the culture in Seattle. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Vegas changed everything, right, guys? Like, they, they changed the rules for everything. It used to be, uh, you know, when you had an expansion team, you could hire some guy who never had any coaching experience, uh, you know, because you knew you were going to be terrible for, for three or four or five years anyways, right? So, you know, why go out and get, you know, the second coming of Toe Blake for, you know, if, if he's going to be coaching a bunch of, you know, subpar players, yeah. uh, you know, but, but this, this last expansion changed everything. Uh, so now you do need a guy who, you know, can build something. And I, and I, I agree. I think, you know, you need a guy who's going to come in and, and establish a culture, which I think Rick Tocchet would do a really good job of doing. Um, I think you also need a guy who's fairly familiar, you know, who has a decent media presence, who can, who can relate to the fan base and is, and is willing to, you know, do the things that it will take to, um, you know, to get this thing off the ground and sell the sport in, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a market where it's hasn't been for more than a hundred years. Um, so I think that, you know, but I think also Rick Tockett is the kind of guy that he's, I, I think what you need to is a guy who has a good feel because you're going to be bringing in like the misfits, right? Like you're going to be bringing in guys from everywhere, you know, disparate places. You're going to have some surprises. You're going to have some young guys, you know, so you need a guy who I think can, um, can make that group one and can give them a sense of, you know, a sense of purpose and a sense of togetherness and, and, and not be, and to know exactly when to kind of push them and be hard on them and when to lay off. And I think Rick Tockett would be a very good choice in that respect. Yeah. And, and the other interesting factor is because of the fact we know Seattle is open to actually making plays for UFAs, which Vegas, they were less open to it. Uh, bringing in a coach early, it could be a draw, right? If, you, if it's a coach that, that players like. So that's another motivation to have a player's coach. I also think player's coach is extremely important because in year one of a franchise, you, you can't have a John Tortorella type, a taskmaster. He's feuding with players, getting angry. It's just, you don't want that negativity around something so fresh when you're trying to bring in new fans. You don't want someone who's benching, you know, benching his players playing, you know, for the third period in a game and it's your star score and you're trying to put bums in seats and showcase your new team. So that type of coach to me doesn't make any sense. So going with a player's coach like Rick Tockett, I think it makes some sense. But I do think also, like you said, Kenny, media savvy is important too. You want someone who's friendly and warm and is sort of inviting when you're trying to bring in new fans. So to me, someone that has the player's coach appeal of Rick Tockett, but also the media savvy 
And the person that I would look to as my number one choice is Bruce Boudreaux. He's actually expressed interest as well in coaching the Kraken. And what is Bruce Boudreaux known for? Unlocking potential. He's known for rallying players together. He's known for turning teams around that are struggling and making them competitive quickly. And he can foster that sort of us against the world underdog mentality. It's true he's never won a cup, but he's done a great job over and over of taking bad teams and making them good teams and finding players that are sort of miscast and, and just somehow unlocking them to make them stars or, or at least borderline stars or just helping them maximize their potential. So to me, Bruce Boudreaux is the guy, I think you got, I said on the podcast last week, Paul Maurice would be interesting too, but Boudreaux is the guy I would want. I think Tockett's still a pretty good choice from the player perspective, but I don't think Tockett's known as, you know, a guy with the gift of the gap, whereas Bruce Boudreaux is literally nicknamed Gabby. So there you go. Uh, let's do some listener questions. First question is from Chris Pierce. Chris wants to know if you could make two changes to the NHL awards themselves, what would they be? Something like including a new award or changing one that exists or even getting rid of one example, the most defensive defenseman or adding a third all NHL team. Well, I'll start my answer with a confession, Chris. I didn't see the two changes part. I just thought you asked for one change. So I'm going to give you one and it's possible that Ken and Ryan are going to do the same because I told them in advance to think of one. Thing. <laughs> So we're going to tweak your question, pretend that you asked for one change, and we're going to roll with it. So my change, I've been saying this for years. I've even, I've said this to the NHL. I said this to Bill Daly two years ago. Please, Wayne Gretzky award for the leader in assists. Why can you not acknowledge playmaking as a separate skill? You do it for goals with the Rocket Richard trophy. There's no pressure to wait until Wayne Gretzky croaks. It's not like every trophy is a memorial trophy. There's the Mark Messier leadership award. They're literally, they're dangling Gretzky's former teammate and almost mocking him. And eh, we gave an award to Gretzky or, or to Messier. But even though you're the greatest player of all time, eh, we're not going to give you your own award. I think it's absolutely absurd. And I tabled it to the NHL and I was told that there still is not much interest among the board of governors to do it, which I don't get it. It's right there. Award the assist leader every year. Give someone the Gretzky. It really bothers me. I think it's, it's a travesty in the context of this discussion. Kenny, what do you think? What do you got? Well, I, I actually didn't think it was two either, but I have two, Ooh. which is awesome. The first change I would make is I would do to the Jack Adams trophy, what they do to the, um, to the uh, general manager of the year. I would wait until I, I'd actually wait until the playoffs ended to, to, um, oh. to give out that award. And I mean, you, you know, it does, it does create some recency bias because, you know, Mark Bergeron would not have been considered even close to winning that award if uh, you know, if it were done after the regular season. But I, I just think, that's an award that you, you have to, I think you have to wait on that one. I, I would wait until the playoffs ended um, to give out the, uh, the Jack Adams award. And the second change I would make is I would have, uh, I would have an award for the best under 20 player in the NHL. Um, because, you know, like a lot of the criticism we hear the Calder trophy is, you know, Carol Capper's office, you know, what is he 24 years old? He's played, you know, four years and five years in the, in the KHL, you know, he's got a, he's got a real, you know, sort of, uh, advantage over, over a teenage guy. I think, I think something, you know, you, you know, if you haven't hit your 20th birthday by January 1st of that, that first year and, and, you know, it should be a first year player, um, you know, then, 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 you know, you're eligible for this award. So then you've kind of got two rookie of the year awards. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And, and, and something that a lot of people have mentioned is, you know, the defensive defenseman award. I think, you know, based on the fact that we have so many analytics now and we have 
uh, so much more data. I, I think this one's kind of a no-brainer. And you, you call it the Rod Langway Award or whoever you want to name it after. Um, I think that would be a really cool one to to honor the guys who have a, a, a dramatic impact on the game, but it does, just doesn't necessarily show up in like the, the boxcar stats, as they say. So, you know, you're looking at the the Jacob Slavens and Brett Pesci's and uh, Adam Pellicks and Ryan Pulak. You know, Ryan Pulak gets his points, but he's also tremendously uh, good as a defensive defenseman. So I, I think it's time to award those guys because everybody sees their value. So they should they should get a trophy as well. Nice. I like those picks. Let's add them in. Actually, if I can plug our next edition of the magazine and our upcoming champions issue, which will come out after the Stanley Cup, we do have our list of hockey news awards. So we do have a few custom awards, which includes one for the best defensive defenseman. And we also have an MVP and a best player split into two different categories. So that's another option. Uh, if you want to just see some other thoughts on what awards could be, it'll be on newsstands in a few weeks after the Stanley Cup final. Uh, next question from James Goggin. Goggin? Gagan? I think it's Goggin. What happens in net for Pittsburgh next year? Tristan Jari again, or do they move off him? This is a tough one because it's really hard to unsee what happened to him in the playoffs. It was, it's not one of those, ah, uh, you know, the, menta- the, the, the general messaging wasn't like, ah, uh, you can't put, you can't put it all on the goaltender. But like in this case, you kind of could, the meltdown was that bad, I think for, for Jari. But at the same time, he's 26 years old. And I was looking at some of his, his numbers and, you know, his metrics. And if you look at goals saved above, saved above average per 60, which is, I think, kind of all-encompassing goalie stat, he was 17th out of 43 in terms of goalies that played 1,000-plus minutes. So basically, like, starting goaltenders, more or less. So he was above average for most of the season, and he just – the wheels fell off in the playoffs. We've seen goalies come back from that before. Marc-Andre Fleury had a bad case of the yips, I think, at a couple different junctures of his career. And he's still where he is now, although he just had another another one the other day. But you you know what I'm saying? Uh, he's repeatedly bounced back. And Jake Allen is someone that looked lost. He went from lost to now being capable mentally of playing in Montreal. That's how far along he's come. So I I, I don't think you just throw Tristan Jari away, but I do think you need to bring in an experienced guy to be a tandem partner to me it's Yaroslav Halak it's the perfect choice he's going to be available because he's being pushed out in Boston by Jeremy Swayman you could take a run at someone like Philip Grubauer sure if you're Pittsburgh but I think it's a little risky to spend that much money on goaltending when you might you might need help elsewhere in the lineup but Halak is someone maybe you can get him for a couple million dollars and that's a perfect partner he's really experienced if anything goes wrong with Tristan Jar, you have a guy who can step in he's done it over and over in his career for short stretches and he's good enough to be a starter he's good enough to give relief during the playoffs. He can, he can kind of come in in any situation. So to me, that's the solution. You don't throw him away, but you bring in an experienced guy. What do you think, Ryan? I would agree with you. I think Halak is kind of the gold standard of those guys that could be a starter, but is fantastic in that one B role when you need him. Um, and just to sort of have some variety there, I would throw out Peter Morazic as well. I think, you know, obviously he's at a different place in his career right now, but Pittsburgh has made it very clear that they're going to continue to go for it next season. So you got to make sure you dot all your I's and cross all your T's. And right now, goaltending is a big question mark for them. If you bring in Morazic, maybe he just usurps Jerry and he is your starter. But at the least, you're giving yourself a great battle in the crease and you have two guys that can compete against each other. And then when you get into the playoffs, you go with the guy that you trust the most at that point. If they falter, you've got uh, you've got a great plan B. And, you know, I mean, for me, I think at this point, if you're the Penguins, if you're in that situation, I think you start the playoffs with Mrazek and say, like, look, we just need stability there. 
Um, but you, you obviously have to see how the season, you know, goes at that point. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm, I hate to be a parrot here, but I agree. I think you're looking for the next Anton Kudobin, right? The guy mm-hmm. who can who can come in when you need him and carry to carry you to a Stanley Cup final if that's what's required. Because yeah, um, yeah, I think, and you don't want to spend too much on it. Like, do you do you try for an anti Ranta, or do you, you know, do you is that is that maybe a guy that you go for? I, th- I think you want a mid guy. You don't want a guy who's off the scrap heap who can, who you can pay a million dollars to. Like I, I wouldn't mind being, you know, being in a spot where you get an established veteran, you pay him three or three and a half million dollars, you know, on a, on a three-year deal. And you say, look, you are our guy, you know, you're our insurance policy here. You're going to play 20 games a year. You're going to play 20, 25 games a year. And if, you know, if things go sideways in the playoffs, we need you to be ready. Yeah. I also wonder, would Freddie Anderson be kind of an interesting buy low or a guy that still has some upside left and you kind of, you know, that would be more of an open competition, I think, between the two of them. At the same time, he's not proven in the in the clutch games at the same level. Uh, we'll do one more question from listener. Scott Baker wants to know if the Habs make the final, is Carey Price the Conn Smythe winner, regardless of who wins the cup? I think he would obviously have the inside track. And, and if you know, if he's even average in the final, if the series goes five, six, seven games, sure. But I, I don't think you can say he's the automatic winner because what if the Habs make the final, they get swept and he gets shelled? Yeah. Then no, then he loses the consummate in that situation. So to me, it's, you know, you could say he's the front runner so far for sure. And Braden Point obviously is making a case yet again. Uh, but I don't think you can you can just hand it to to Carey Price just yet. He's not necessarily going to be the, the J.S. Jaguar type of winner just yet what do you think ryan i i agree with you i i think he's in the mix but i also think Braden point is in a great position because you know as i mentioned before he's on that great goal streak and that's something that voters can sort of hang their hat on it's it's a very tangible thing like let's say he breaks reggie leach's record of 10 games in a row with a goal or even just ties it all of a sudden you have something where you can say look nobody has done that since the 70s and he's doing it, you know, on a team that went, let's just, I mean, if they win it, then, you know, and, you know, obviously Tampa Bay is going to have the, the guy and it's probably gonna, going to be Braden Point. But you can say, like, look, this is the guy that contributes every night and he's so dangerous. And he's playing at a high level on a great team. Um, so I think in, in that scenario, you know, I think Braden Point and Carey Price are probably your two guys right now. Uh, and then obviously you have to see how things shake out. But, I agree with your point. I think, you know, the Habs have to either get to the final and not get pummeled or obviously even win it uh, for Carey Price to be the undisputed Conn Smythe front runner. Uh, but he's certainly in the mix. Yeah, I think, I think this would have more of a possibility if it were a Montreal-New York Islanders final. Um, I think then you would see more of a possibility of Carey Price winning it, even if the Islanders were to beat the Canadians in the final. Um, but no, absolutely not at this point. I mean, like, are we forgetting about Nik- Nikita Kucherov here? Like, I think yeah. he's, I think he has an eight point lead in, in playoff scoring. Yeah. Like, I, I know it was, it was 10 before last night. I'm not sure what it is now, but I think he's got like an eight point lead in scoring. And, you know, that Victor Hedman guy's playing okay, too, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, I mean, there are some guys who 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 definitely, on, on, the, on the Tampa side of things, definitely merit consideration. And to me, like, 
all things being equal, I think it's, it's almost like the, you know, like a lot of people wouldn't give the heart trophy to a guy whose team didn't make the playoffs. I think all things being equal, you want to give it to the, to a guy whose team won. Right. And, you know, I'm, and there are very few exceptions of that. I thought in 2006, I thought it was an absolute travesty that Chris Pronger didn't win this, didn't win the Conn Smythe trophy. I thought it was just an absolute travesty. Like I could not believe that he did not win the Consmite Trophy. He had that kind of impact on the Edmonton Oilers and their run to the Stanley Cup final. Um, but uh, yeah, like I still think, you know, all things being equal, it should go to the, t- the a, a player on the team that wins. And if that's Tampa, you know, you're looking at Point, Kucherov or Hedman, who I think, you know, would have very, very solid cases, any one of them. For sure. And it's funny for the, for those who do win uh, on a losing team, it can be really awkward. So I, I remember for our top 100 goalies uh, special edition a couple of years ago, I interviewed J.S. Shiger, great interview subject. But what he was telling me about 2003 is when he won the con smite, the team was so heartbroken. They lost game seven to the devils. He walked back to the dressing room. The other the team, the ducks were in the dressing room. He had to come out like, you know, really upset, get the consmite. He waddles back in his gear and he looks around the dressing room and he just puts the consmite outside the dressing room on a, on a table because he just didn't want to walk in and like carrying a trophy. He felt almost embarrassed that he'd won it. So it's, it's awkward. It's awkward for the guy who wins it on the losing team. It's pretty rare. I think it's only been done uh, five times. Jaguar and, and of course, Reggie Leach, Ron Hextall, but it's, it's pretty Roger rare. Crozier. Roger Crozier. Roger Crozier. And there's one more. I'm trying to remember who it is. It's a goalie. It's another goalie. Was it Jacques Plant? No. I forget who it was. There's another goalie who's done it. But uh, Okay, we're going to finish the podcast with the rapid fire game. Ken, you are the host. I will be the first question answer. Ryan, you have the luxurious number two spot. and We are ready to begin. All right, guys. Okay, you can only listen to one non-greatest hits album for the rest of your life. Ooh. Which is it? Okay. Um, I think... It's not even the best album, but it's close to my heart because of when I was really into it, which is Weezer, the Blue Album. It's not my favorite band of all time. It's not my favorite album, but it just, there's so many of the songs that just remind me of being like a teenager cutting the grass. There's a nostalgia to it. So I could say, oh, Beatles, the White Album or U2, Joshua Tree, whatever, but I'm going to say Weezer, Blue Album. Mm. I can say 13 songs by Fugazi, the album that changed my life, still holds up today and has a next variation of... Uh, songs in it that it would keep me interested forever never heard of either of them <laughs> uh for me it would be i I'm, I'm tempted to go with with the first dire straits album because that is the greatest album by the greatest group of all time but i, I think i'd have to just for beginning to end i'd have to go with fleetwood mac rumors uh, i was going to say that was my other choice yeah yeah yes P- producer stevens is boston the, Bo- the first boston album by boston um, okay, that, that's a good one. Uh, the Seattle Kraken will win how many games next season? 39. Mm. For some reason, 34 comes to, to mind for me. You know what, though? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quickly shift because I remember that their division is total hot garbage. So I'm going to say they're going to win 42. Okay. I'm going to say somewhere in the 36 range. I mean, you know, historically it's been – Expansion teams are terrible or they're Vegas. I think I think this time around it's going to be somewhere in between. I think they're going to be good. I don't think they're going to be great. And they probably well, they might in that division, they might make the playoffs, but I don't expect them to be like the second coming of the Vegas Golden Knights. Okay, so uh all the kids are talking about this, guys. Lord, 
with an E. Lord, Lord, Lord. Has a has a, a new album out called Solar Power. As I said, all the kids are talking about it. I don't know if you guys have seen the album cover, um, but it she shows her bum on it. Um, <laughs> and uh, so that got me thinking, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of probably 13 or 14 year old boys who are going to go like, that's the greatest album cover of all time. Sticking with albums. What okay. is the greatest album cover of all time? Okay. Ooh. For me. And I, I like the, the theme that you're going with there. And if I'm tied to a similar theme, I'm, I'm going to say no doubt tragic kingdom because I was, you know, I was all in on Gwen Stefani when okay. I was 13 years old in the mid to late nineties. Mm. Interesting. Greatest album cover. You know, it's really simple, but I'm going to go with The Chronic by Dr. Dre because it's 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 really clean and it's simple, but it's just like it's really it's really striking at the same time. And it just sort of sets the tone for for what you're about to hear, which is an, an excellent piece of uh, hip hop production. Yeah, it's funny. Steven's favorite album of all time was Boston by Boston. That would be probably my that would probably be my choice for album cover. But I'm going to I'm going to tailor it more to the question and I'm going to go dark side of the moon. <laughs> Get it? Pink Floyd, dark side of the moon. Uh, Lord showed her bum, dark side of the moon. How do you like that, guys? Not bad, eh? Uh -huh. I figured that one out while I was watching Stephen Colbert last night. <laughs> OK, <laughs> best name in hockey history. Oh man, best of all time. Um, I think it's like he, he's still he's still alive now. Wacy Rabbit is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, mm, that's pretty good one. The one that comes to mind for me is Mud Brunito, uh, <laughs> because like it's just like a, a great go to where it's like if you're talking about old timey players, it's like that guy's name was Mud. Yeah, and scored the the longest overtime game in history. He scored the winner exactly. So his his legend lives on. For eternity and his name his given name was modere okay. m-o-d-e-r-r-e i also like spray um i i gotta go with bart crashley <laughs> like like that's awesome like that's just an awesome name i just wish that bart crashley like he was a defenseman i wish he would have been a little more physical and would have gotten a few more penalty minutes because he wasn't that kind of defenseman he actually was a pretty good decent offensive defenseman like journeyman guy but yeah, I would have liked to, for him to have been like just a holy terror out there. Yeah. Um, okay, Here, I got a few one, guys. I got a few to add. Okay, go ahead. Robin Big Snake, actually, the very first issue of the hockey news I ever read back when they used to put the stats of like every single like league like, ever. There was I remember looking at Robin Big Snake in the ECHL and thinking that was the coolest thing ever. Also, um, there was I covered a a, a junior hockey game a couple years ago. I forget which team, but there was a player named Brock Loser. Nice. And then. Uh, there's also a guy who played on the Boston Bruins a very, very long time ago named Where's Harry. And I'll make you figure out the last word yourself. But anyways, some pretty good names. <laughs> what, was that, what was that last one, Stephen? Harry Dick. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Robin Big Snake sounds like uh, a very successful porn star. <laughs> Thought you were... <laughs> then Miles Wood has to be in there too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, there was a guy in the NHL named Joe Pizza. Nice. Nice. Bruce Shoebottom was another good one. Um, okay, guys, last question. As I'm sure you're aware, uh, Lindsey Wagner and Dustin Johnson share a birthday today, uh, June 22nd. Lindsey Wagner is 72, Dustin Johnson is 37. 
So my question to, to you guys is, who would be able to hit a golf ball further? A 72-year-old bionic woman or a 37-year-old Dustin Johnson? Ooh. So bionic, it's robot. Yeah. Yeah, she's bionic. She's a bionic it's woman. Old, it's 72 years old, but like a, ro a robot that's been around for 72 years, that might not be long in a robot's lifespan. It's a well-designed robot. And we know that the swing is less about the physicality. Michelle Wee was driving balls 300 yards like 10, 15 years ago. She was one of the first women to do it. And I'm thinking if you harness the technology, this bionic woman is going to crush Dustin Johnson in the driving competition. Yeah, I'm going to go with the bionic woman, even at the age of 72, because of overthinking this. Uh, her skin might not be as taut as it used to be. So there would be, there'd be more like give in the robotics uh, to get that rotation necessary to really blast it. Yeah, I, I'm going to go three for three with the bionic woman too, because like bionics don't age, right? So she would be just as strong at 72 as she was when she was 30. And like, I don't know if you remember, but she could rip a phone book in half. Like she could rip like a big a phone city book. phone book right in half. That's how strong she was. So I got to go with, uh, I got to go with, um, with the bionic woman on this one. And the hip rotation would be like prime Tiger Woods level, violent and fast. Yeah. yeah. All right. We're going to end on that truly strange note. Thank you for <laughs> listening to the podcast and watching it this week. We'll be back later. Thank you for listening to the Hockey News Podcast. Make sure to check out THN.com slash subscribe to get issues of the Hockey News Magazine delivered right to your mailbox.